Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical, underage sale prohibited. Introducing Zone Nicotine Pouches, the perfect balance of unparalleled comfort, longer-lasting flavor, and nicotine that satisfies. Whether you're zoning in during the race or zoning out after a tough day at work, Zone gets you there faster and keeps you there longer. Available in seven flavors and in six and nine milligram strengths. Find Zone at zonepouches.com and retailers near you. Own your Zone with Zone Nicotine Pouches. Get back to NASCAR roots by driving headfirst into the new home of grassroots racing. Flow Racing keeps the original NASCAR tradition of dirt track racing roaring with more than 1,300 live and on-demand oval events from across the U.S. Learn how the next generation of NASCAR drivers is prospected in sprint car racing. Subscribe today by going to flowracing.com slash go MRN. That's FLORacing.com forward slash go MRN. This is MRN Crew Call, brought to you by Hercules Tires. The men and women that pit cars in NASCAR and trucks in NASCAR are absolutely amazing athletes. We've talked about it a lot here on Crew Call, and we're going to spend some time today talking more about it because, well, we're going to talk to one of the great athletes that works on pit road for NASCAR races. I'm Steve Post, pit road reporter for Motor Racing Network, and this is Crew Call presented by Hercules Tires, Ride on our strength. If you walk into the garage of the NASCAR Cup Series and say, where's Big Ed? Everyone will know who you are talking about. Big Ed is Ed Watkins. He is the fuel man on 2311 Racing, the car that Bubba Wallace drives. Big Ed is a great, great guy, a former football player, and one of the more popular NASCAR crew members in the garage. His football career goes back. He's from Richmond, Virginia, but he fell in love with East Carolina University, the Pirates, if you will, out in the eastern part of the state of North Carolina. Ed's a big guy. Big Ed, you got to be a big guy. And he played for four years in the mid-1990s on the offensive line, including some great wins, some great seasons, and they really had, it was kind of the heyday of ECU and uh, Pirate football. After football ended, Ed moved over into the racing world. He started with just one of the great characters in the sport, Junie Dunleavy, a team owner up in Richmond, Virginia. And Ed's story to get from Junie Dunleavy's to the top levels of NASCAR is pretty amazing. And look forward to sharing that with him here on the podcast today. He's a three-time winner of the Daytona 500. He's a three-time champion of NASCAR Cup Series racing. And more important than all of that, He's an all-around good guy. So this time on Crew Call, it's Big Ed Watkins. Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shins that eliminate noise for the life of the pad. Rubber-coated hardware for a better fit and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. 
Crew Call continues on here on Motor Racing Network. So glad to be joined by one of my buddies in the garage. Big Ed Watkins is on the line here on, uh, on our Zoom call. Hello, Ed. Welcome into Crew Call. Postman, good morning. How's everybody doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Um, how, how are things? Uh, summertime, the boat business, the NASCAR business, it's probably good to be Ed Watkins these days. It is. It is. If you can wear multiple hats, it sure is. It's still, It's definitely busy um there's no no shortage of uh of work i tell you that it's all good but staying busy the nascar schedule is in its full swing we just you know we ran through some pretty incredible races and some new venues uh going to atlanta which is you know a new a new date for us for this weekend but uh um you know that on with the big travel stuff with nascar you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of fuel mileage critical stuff on the weekends as a gas man. And then right back to uh, boat critical on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for me. So life is good. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, Ed, you've been around this sport for a long time. Uh, and we all went through the pandemic and the uncertainty that nobody at the racetrack and everything. I, the last few weeks, when you look at the, the crowd at Nashville, well, Charlotte was pretty good. The crowd at Nashville, Pocono was a zoo, Road America. Uh, is there a vibe or an energy right now for Cup Series Sundays that, that we that we haven't had for a while? It, there certainly is. You, you know, Postman, you've been around for a while. And, uh, you know, I remember starting in the late 90s in the old adage of, you know, build the grandstands, they will come. Yeah. And, you know, I remember racing, you know, the Brickyard 400s, the, the night race at Bristol's where, you know, you'd have in your team meeting before the race, you know, not only an overview of, of the uh, strategy for the night ahead of you, but also, you know, post-race for leaving the track. It was so critical because there was so much, you know, Bristol, 160,000 people. We'd go to, I remember back in the heyday of the Brickyard 400, we'd have 400,000 people at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And if you didn't get in that police escort leaving the infield, you would not reach the airport that night. And just thinking and seeing all those people and just the, the strategy involved in getting back to the airport, it reminds me a lot of it nowadays. You really gotta be uh, you know, critical now thinking of you know, the old days, where to park, you need to be able to get out post-race, you need to be able to uh, you know, be, have some strategy post-race, be able to get back to the airport because like you said, Postman, there's, you know, even at Road America, just a fabulous place, just an absolute incredible place. I think there was over 100,000 people at Road America. Nashville was packed. Uh, Pocono, great turnout. Pocono was the old Pocono that we used to see back in the day. These, uh, you know, the stands were full. The, the energy is wide open. We had some incredible flyovers the past few weeks. And you can just feel the energy and excitement in the grandstands. It's absolutely awesome. Really, truly is, really is. And I want to go back a few years. Well, I want to go back a long ways with you. Uh, your kid, you grew up, you grew up in Richmond, Virginia, correct? I did. Okay. And there was two things in your world, football and NASCAR. When, when, when in your young life did you realize that first up football was an option that you may be able to get a chance to do? Well, it, um, it, it happened when, you know, you'd be sitting and you'd watching bowl games. I remember as a kid watching college bowl games and nothing, you know, you talk about the energy and the camaraderie, but 
I remember back in, you know, the late 80s, the early 90s, bowl games started really taking off. He's really, you know, ESPN started really taking college football and taking it to the next level. You had Thursday night college football. Um, and I'll never forget, it was probably it was right around, it was, it was 1990, 1991. I was a junior in high school, sophomore, junior. So recruiting had just started up. Uh, football, my body started taking shape to the football type of, um, of size and physicality that it needed to be. And uh, I started getting some recruiting letter, letters from East Carolina University, ECU, go Pirates. And that was the year that they went to the Peach Bowl with NC State. And um, I remember watching that game. And the thing that, you know, not only was really cool because, you know, ECU won and a really really big come from behind win against NC state in the peach bowl, uh, at Fulton County stadium down there in Atlanta, which was the last, the last ever football game played in Fulton County stadium. But I'll never forget the support, the camaraderie, the, the, the just the school spirit that East Carolina university carried down to Atlanta for that peach bowl that year, 1991, and seeing the stands, the, 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 the stadium of Fulton County Stadium, pretty much all purple and gold. And I remember getting letters and recruiting letters from ECU. But once I saw that, the visual kind of dawned on me going, wow, this is a pretty incredible university. They travel well. They support their, their team really well. But it's not the it's not the really big university that you would would you think of. So it had that back then it had that really, really good personal touch where you were somebody, but it was big enough to be a you know a national contender. And it was just a great fit. So through high school, I really kind of set my focus on you know wanting to play college football, getting myself lined up academically and athletically to be able to play football. Things worked out and um went on for a pretty, pretty uh, good little run in the, in the college football ranks too. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, uh, you know, ranked uh, 15th in the country the one year you guys were in independent school. I was actually, uh, and uh, years earlier, Penn, I was a Penn state. I graduated from Penn state and that whole independent school thing, which seems so foreign to all of us now, um, independent schools, you, you got some recognition, but you certainly didn't get the recognition and, and maybe cost you a bowl bid here or there, but you still, you still had some great wins and some great bowl games in your, in your career at ECU. Exactly. And, and, and postman, I was a double-edged sword being an independent ECU and Notre Dame were the two back then were the two major independents in the country. So that means we weren't affiliated with, a, um, with a conference. Uh, but, the pros were, we were able to play. We had a schedule, you know, we were playing University of Tennessee. I'll never forget coming out, Neyland Stadium, University of Tennessee. That was the first time I ever felt concrete move. I was a sophomore in the visitor's locker room. That was the first time I felt concrete moving. I said, oh, my gosh, this is this is big right here. And some guy by the name of Peyton Manning was the quarterback for uh, for Tennessee, and then, you know, then we went and played Syracuse. Some guy by the name of Donovan McNabb was quarterback for, for Syracuse. Then we went, you know, and played West Virginia, Auburn. Um, you know, just the, the, the all you look back and you see a lot of the all-time greats at running back or at quarterback for some of these schools. University of Miami, they had just beat number four Florida State the week before. We went down to the Orange Bowl to the true orange bowl and whooped up on the hurricanes down there. So it being an independent, we were able to play these schools 
because a lot of times they had us in for, for homecoming. And we just had a heyday in terms of coming in there and just ruining their homecoming. We'd come in there and just whoop up on them. It was great. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm Penn State in the 80s when we were independent as well. They joined the Big Ten in between your window and my window here, so they were no longer. But you're right. It was Notre Dame. Miami at the time was an independent school. Um, Syracuse, I think, was independent. Maybe they were Big East. We had a rivalry with those guys, but it was it was neat. It was kind of fun. You played all of these uh, you played all of these one off games or or home and home series, and really really cool. Ed, so you go through the college game. Was there was there any sniffing around of pro football, or was 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 that not in the cards for you? No, it never really didn't. I, you know, that's from high school to college is a jump. From college to pro is just yeah. an astronomical jump, and you know, in all honesty, total transparency. When you're when you're uh, lining up, we had some defensive linemen at ECU that were just absolute studs. And when you're lining up against them in Oklahoma, and you can see what they can do to you. And then you know they were a year or two older. Then they went on to combine, or they got invited to some uh, different NFL camps. And you saw what you know how they basically fizzled out. It tells you quite clear just the level of what you know the national football league is and um you know i i was pretty much to the point where my body was starting to feel pretty beat up and i had an opportunity where we talk about my next you know the next passion your next love of life i've always had a love of racing i remember going to Southside speedway in uh, chesterfield virginia ever since i was knee high to a grasshopper and watch you know, the late models run out there. And I was helping a team out there. Uh, got to meet Junie Donlevy uh, back growing up in Richmond. And I remember, I'll never forget, he, he just allowed me to volunteer my time to come in and sweep the floor. And just how critical that was because that allowed me as, I was still in high school then, but I was in there sweeping the floor. I was looking around, I was seeing the Heilig Myers number 94 Thunderbirds. And I was just in hog heaven. I really was. But that enabled me to not only just start meeting people. And that was the biggest thing was start meeting people, start having that opportunity. And that's the big thing in life is you got passion, you got focus, you got, you got your ideas of what you want to do, but you got to have opportunity. And without that opportunity, nothing really comes together. Junie Donlevy, when I was in high school, gave me that opportunity through sweeping floors, volunteer work, of course. And then next thing you know, that blends into next thing you know, I'm underneath the car changing, you know, gears, changing rear end gears, transmissions, helping the cars get ready for test sessions. Um, next thing you know, that stepping stone enabled us to back then we practiced a few times at the Charlotte or excuse me, at the Richmond Coliseum. So uh, then I was able to start learning how to work a jack and a dunk can. It was, it was funny as I, uh, the jack, and the fuel can both kind of fell, fell in my niche. And when I was learning how to jack, I was also paying close attention to the dump can as well, too. So, you know, later in my career, that was a very, very huge advantage because I think I ended up, you know, going over the wall on, a, on top tier winning championship teams as a jack man for 12 years. And then finished the rest of my 25 year career as a, as a gas man. So, it all it all kind of came together from that high school period of time is where the where the uh, the petals and the blossoms of the flowers started blooming. Uh, college football started taking off in terms of the recruiting side of things, as well as the racing side of things, too. 
I love the turn that this took, and 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 we're gonna we're gonna fast forward to I believe your senior year. Your eligibility to play football is done at ECU. You're still there going to school, and so and you've done some work with Junie Dunleavy, so you've seen this NASCAR thing. You decide to make the four-hour drive from Greenville, North Carolina, to Charlotte, North Carolina, and you don't decide to go pick one of the small teams or one of the Xfinity teams. You roll right into Hendrick Motorsports, and within a few minutes, you're talking with Ray Evernham. Tell us how that all came about. That was May of 1997, and I will never forget it. Um, I had a had a 1987 Ford Bronco that got about 10 miles a gallon, and I drove from Char- from Greenville, North Carolina, to Charlotte. Uh, went right to Hendrick Motorsports. That was where I started. Um, it just, you know, knocked on doors. I'll never forget the first door I knocked on. It was the door to the 25 Budweiser shop. Some guy by the name of Andy Gray's answered the door. And I looked up and I recognized him. I said, hey, Andy. I said, uh, my name's Ed Watkins. And I think I actually I said Mr. Gray's. I said, hey, Mr. Gray's, Ed Watkins. I said, just finished up football at ECU. I'm going to be a part of your pit crew. And he kind of looked, he, and it was funny of all people to answer the side door was, yeah. was Andy Gray's, who was the crew chief on the 25 Budweiser car at that time. And he looked at me and said, yeah, come on in. I walked inside and I'll never forget. I was just, just absolutely mesmerized. I was like, you know, you look at the shop floor, it looks like a mirror. You can eat off the shop floor. You're looking around and uh, I believe Ricky Craven I was driving the 25 Budweiser car at time, and you saw all those rascals lined up. This was May, so they were getting ready for, for the all-star race and the Coke 600. And I just remember just total amazement, just started looking, going, wow, this is this is pretty cool. And, you know, you walk into that race shop, and you get that sweet smell. I don't know if it's just it's racing oil or the chemicals, but every, every race shop has that sweet smell. And I'll never forget that beautiful taste in my mouth when I walked in there. Uh, then Annie took me around back and said, follow me. And he says, we've got something pretty incredible coming together. Let me take you out here. I didn't know what he was talking about. Well, Ray Everham was in the 24 DuPont holler out back. So what we did is we walked through the Budweiser shop through the side door out back to what was where they do pit practice when I was there. Um, they had the 24 holler parked right there. Uh, Ray was in there running the shop dyno Andy Gray's walked me right in and said uh Ray got somebody like for you to meet and just pretty much turned around walked out (laughs) I just kind of like all right and I looked up and I was like oh boy I know this real tall skinny guy I've seen him a few times uh on TV winning pretty much every inaugural race and championship that there was I was 97 so they had just come off of that you know that big run where Basically, any inaugural race, remember the, the, the Brickyard, they won. All the inaugural races, Texas, they won all those big inaugural races. I think I think Ray was uh, – had just that may have been when Ray was about to take that T-Rex car and go put a, a lap on the field with the T-Rex car. I think that was probably the year that that was happening. Well, Ray looked at me, and I said, Mr. Everham, I said, Ed Watkins, um, just finished up football at ECU, want to be a part of your pit crew. And he gave me that big smile and looked at me and he said, my name's not Mr. Everham. That's my dad. You can call me Ray. And from that point on, uh, I was, you know, had a, a special spot for him and vice versa, mutual respect. And 
that was the beginning of our 13 year career together because I went with him from Hendrick Motorsports to Everham Motorsports. Uh, I was like employee number three at Everham Motorsports and then ran, um, you know, with them for about 10 years at Everham Motorsports. So I went over to, to get assing. Wow. Amazing. It really is absolutely amazing. What are some of the things Ray is Ray was, I mean, and now he's doing the SRX stuff. So he's, he's got his hands in everything. What were some of the things, maybe, maybe one or two key things that you learned from being around Ray Everham? The, the first thing was the, the visualization concept was just, uh, I remember my very first race with the 24 car was the, um, Southern 500 at Darlington, where Jeff Gordon and Jeff Burton were door slamming for the Winston Million. Remember, they went, I think it was about the last four or five laps, they were running door to door uh, for the Winston Million. That was my first race. But Ray, you know, beforehand, I remember was always very, very, very focused and in tune with Jeff. Visualize those laps. I remember you know, the Brickyard 400, you know, how critical those long straightaways at Indianapolis Motor Speedway were. He had Jeff in the car as they were rolling through the starting grid with his eyes closed, visualizing those laps. And uh, that was a big, big part of what Ray had pit crew wise for us in terms of our ability to develop and go perform was that mindset of if you visualize where you've been, you visualized where you need to perform when it comes time, you're not there for the first time, if that makes sense. So uh, the, the visualization aspect of, you know, seeing yourself coming in for the last pit stop of the Daytona 500, leading the race and having to make a, you know, your money stop. You've already visualized that and you've already done that stop in your mind. So when that time comes, you're already mentally prepared that much more to go and execute. Wow. That's fascinating stuff. That really is. One of our sprint car drivers, uh, Logan Wagner, has talked a lot about that. And visualize yourself winning races and doing things. And and, and, and it does bring that comfort level. I, I actually want to go back. One other point. Your timing in coming to, to Hendrick Motorsports, the Rainbow Warriors, your two-time champion on the Rainbow Warriors team, your timing was really good because this was an era. It used to be a NASCAR Two weeks before Daytona, the crew chief would come in and say, you're going to be the jack man. You're going to be the gas man. You're going to be the tire carrier. Ray was also developing this whole college athlete become pit crew members. That's the norm now. So you had pretty good timing on this when you walked through the door at Hendrick Motorsports as well. I hit, I hit it at day one. He was just developing it and putting it together when I had just so happened to walk in and, uh, and knock on the door. And that's really why the, the, partnership um came together so well as the their need for me was as just as much as my need for them it just came together really well the timing was critical you look back the the three car they had just started kind of taking it up a level on pit road and you're right exactly postman it went from the concept of you know if i can keep my guys in the shop massaging on this race car and focused on this race car. And when they go to the racetrack, they're focused on this race car and not distracted by pit stops. I'll have a standalone athlete only pit crew. We came in at five 30 on Tuesdays and Thursdays back then. And that was pit practice, but that was our focus was pitting the race car. 
And it goes back to the analogy of, you know, one second on pit road is the length of a football field at Daytona when you're or at Michigan or, uh, or last week at Poco, when you're running 200 miles an hour, you know, one second on pit road is the length of a football field at 200 miles an hour. And for a number of years, uh, you were a jack man. I think in 2010, you jacked a race car up until I think if I'm not mistaken, 2010. The decision to move from the jack to the fuel man, walk me through that decision. NASCAR was going through some changes on pit road for safety. And that was when we eliminated the catch can man and the old adage of basically the fuel man car comes in and you had two people to fuel the race car. So you had the traditional dry brake uh, car to come in, dump can get plugged in catch can man would insert the catch can, which would vent the fuel cell. He then be about a thousand, one thousand, two thousand, three count, reach over, grab the dump can. Gas man would nonchalantly peel out, walk back to the wall, grab the second can, pretty much have all the time in the world. Catch can man's flowing, get about a six second count. First can comes out, rear changer comes around, and the gas man just walks right on in, plugs in, gets the car full, you know, no harm, no foul. Car goes down pit road and rocking and rolling. 2011 came around. NASCAR changed to this, what they call a closed loop aviation style fueling system that we're running now. And what that basically was is if you're not plugged in, you're not flowing fuel. If you're not, if you're not plugged in, if you're not with the car, you're not flowing fuel. So you picture this now, you've eliminated the get the catch can man. So now all the fueling is done, the venting and the fueling is done by the gas man with the closed loop fueling system that they incorporated into 2011. So the car comes in, everything's on your shoulders. Car comes in, you plug in, and all of a sudden the right side drops, rear changer's coming, you're disengaging, tossing, and grabbing. Well, there's no fuel being flowed. It's not like you just nonchalantly left the race car and the dump can's still in it being held by the catch can man. So in, from 2011 on, gas man became what you said, I'd say you're on an island. Mm-hmm. So it's all, it was all about foot speed and shoveling those cans. And that was what made my transition, because I was starting to get a little bit older. And, you know, the competition on pit road started getting younger and younger and younger. And, of course, that Jackman role, man, he's your point guy. You know, he's the guy first off the wall. He's the guy that's got to run the farthest when the right side drops to come around from jack peg to jack peg. And not to mention, you know, I'd already been doing it for 13 years. Jacking, you know, I've been run over a few times. Jacking's a pretty physical demanding position. You got – your feet, your hips, your knees, everything just takes a beating. And that's if you don't get run over because you're on the jack handle out there on pit road. So it kind of worked out really, really good in my favor because I had 13 years of experience. I knew the fueling pretty well, and they were going to a new fueling system where you had to be pretty much on the horse to be able to shovel that stuff. So your last few, you know, non-athlete, fuel guys were starting to, you had to get, you know, pushed out, weaned out because it was all about speed in that transition time. That car comes in, bam, you got to get a negative plug 
we were rocking, you know, 11 second because we had those trick air guns back then. We were running 11 second pit stops. We had a hard compound. I'll never forget, you know, the first race that uh, Kyle Larson won. I was gassing for him at Michigan. Actually, that's these pictures here over my shoulder. And that was a three pit stop race. So that Michigan race was run just like a road course. So it was fuel window, fuel window, fuel window. And I still have my notes because I remember looking back and the first stop was like an 11.7 and I dumped 18.3. And I had to dump 18 gallons to make those fuel windows. 18.3, 18.5, 18.2 were the three dumps to make it to the end. And we won that rascal. We came across on fuel but it was a road course style three-stop race. And if you didn't get it full every time, it would have just killed the strategy. And those dudes, those studs, we were, you know, when I was when we had all those trick guns back then, we were running 11 second pit stops and just fuel critical car coming in, negative plug. When I say negative plug, that means the car is still rolling in when you're plugged in and just flowing, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, you're still at the mercy of gravity on those dump cans. So you're still at the mercy of gravity. They'll just flow so fast. Right side drops, bam, you're tossing, grabbing, coming right off the back hip of the rear changer, plugging in the second can. You can hear the car starting to rev up. New tires are on, and you can hear the tire changers hitting about lug number three, four, and you're like, come on, baby, come on, baby. I'll never forget. And just praying to start seeing that blue hose coming up that vent. Because when you start seeing blue hose, that means it's full. And about lug nut number four, when their jackman's about to drop, you started, I started seeing blue hose every time. And bam, followed it out and got it packed full every time. But, you know, so many races through that whole new fueling system from 2011 up to a few years ago before we started the segment racing had hard tires. There were full fuel runs. And man, I tell you, it was demanding being a fuel man. You, uh, you, and it was cool too, because we could, you could pull tires. I remember, uh, you know, back then before they uh, pretty much put the safety aspect of enabling fuel guys just to be fuel guys like they do now, you're pretty much, they say, big Ed NASCAR rule book says you can only dump fuel and dump fuel only. You can't set wedge wrenches. You can't pull tires. But back then from 2011 to about 2017, we were pulling right front tires. We were pulling left rear tires. We were dumping fuel. We were doing wedge adjustments. It was, it was all, we were all over the car. Wild, wild west back there. That's for sure. It was. The picture over your shoulder, one of the neat moments, you talk about that three-stop race at Michigan. So Kyle's out on the front stretch celebrating. He turns around. He starts running. You're the gas man that put 18-3, 18-5, and 18-2 in the car to get him to that finish. I cannot imagine what a neat moment that was. And the next thing you know, here he is lunging in the air toward you. You actually caught him in midair, and that was the beginning of the celebration. What a what a neat moment that had to be. It, it really was. That was his first win. We had finished yeah. second, I'm telling you what, so many times. Um, you know, I, it, it, that the, as we all know, the talent of him is just incredible. He's a great guy. But to be a part of his early days and see, and, and you know, I, I pitted him uh, at his first ARCA race, his first truck race, his first Xfinity race, not only, you know, his first cup race as well, too. So to get to know him, see him during his developmental and growth stage like that, and then to get his first win with him 
in such a dramatic fashion was absolutely incredible. Neat stuff, that's for sure. My gosh, we're rolling along here. Uh, there's so much to talk about, but but I want to transition to the next chapter of your life, okay? We're rolling along. Your buddies with Alex Hayden. Alex Hayden, our lead pit reporter, says, Big Ed's got a boat store. I said, Big Ed's got a boat store. What does that even mean? You go and you want to talk. The drive from Greenville to Charlotte was a jump off from the ledge. I can't imagine buying a boat store. Ed Watkins Marine, the decision, the process that you got up to do that then. Yeah, that was full all out. Walk up to the cliff, take the, put the blinders on, take the parachute off and jump. That was, uh, that was 2017 and haven't looked back since. Got an incredible team here. Got an incredible uh, uh, brands of boats, the boat brands we have here. You know, the best center consoles, the best deck boats, the best runabouts, best pontoons, best bass boats that are manufactured in the world. And, you know, got every, every motor that's manufactured Suzuki, Yamaha, Mercury, an incredible service team. Most of my service teams, guys that I've worked with from, uh, from the NASCAR ranks, some of the most incredible, most skilled road crew mechanics and pit crew guys that I've ever worked with are a part of the team here at uh, Ed Watkins Marine. So it's a, it's, a, it's a formula for not only the best product, the best boats, but we got guys and we got a team that I've assembled and put together that uh, that I've worked with for a while in racing that are used to the attention to detail that it takes in racing, the, uh, the performance, living in that pressure cooker type of situation. Uh, technicians not only are some of the most incredible road crew mechanics that have worked in NASCAR, but they also some of the most decorated and most incredible pit crew and tire changers that have ever worked in NASCAR. So you put all that together. Um, it's just been a, it's been an incredible ride and we just keep growing. We got incredible manufacturers, incredible brands that just support the dealership. Like you wouldn't believe couldn't say enough with, you know, with C pros with their incredible bay boats and offshore center consoles, stingrays, Got some all just absolutely awesome family boats, deck boats, center consoles, the G3 stuff, the G3 Suncatcher pontoons. I'm telling you, you're talking about a pontoon. Uh, can't thank Kyle Bush enough. He's our recent customer for a Suncatcher pontoon boat. And I'm telling you what, that boat is just bad to the bone, just absolutely bad to the bone. It's a one-of-a-kind boat for Kyle Bush that uh, he and his family just absolutely love. We put that all together, had the opportunity to earn his business. Ranger Bass Boats here on the lot as well too, but we got awesome customers, awesome support, and the business just keeps growing, growing, and growing. And I listened to Brad Keselowski a couple of years ago at a, at a business meeting talk about how the NASCAR work ethic works in the real world and he, one of the reasons that he started his business and i have no idea what he does it's some graphic engineering imaging sort of thing but one of the challenges was that nobody could get work done and he said nascar crew members can get anything done and so that has to be part of the appeal when you put your team together is that uh that the, the work ethic that you learn in the nascar garage oh absolutely you I remember stepping in at day one and, you know, with the likes of Ed Guzzo standing over you and you got Ed Guzzo breathing down your neck. You better learn that. No, I can't do this or no, I don't know how to do this is not even in the vocabulary. Uh, so you got to learn quick because 
you know, when you're at the racetrack, things happen. When you get into a crash situation, it's like sticking a grenade, you know, back then when you could work on them, it's like sticking a grenade under the hood. Every, every crash situation or mechanical uh, issue or problem was something new. So you had to be resourceful, you had to be smart. And not only, you know, every, I'd say every mechanic kind of had an engineering process and thought background in terms of not only being incredible mechanics, but they could, you know, they could, you know, think and be resourceful to be able to fix and, you know, manipulate any parts or pieces that needed to be fixed. And then, you know, of course, back, back then, you remember, I remember walking into the fab shop and I just remember so much just being amazed as some of the old timers I worked with and you, the English wheel, just the, at the seeing a piece of aluminum, seeing a left front fender being rolled and manipulated on an English wheel was just absolutely incredible. We go to Rockingham and I'd look at our, uh, our nine and 19 cars at Everham Motorsports and you'd see the kick out of the left front fender and the shelf of the left front fender and then the right rear how straight down it was and you'd see all these cars that were basically just just you know they called them batmobiles back then because they were just so so aero tricked out but they would fit templates and that was the thing that always blew my mind you had the you had the rack of templates that every car would fit but you would look at them on pit road and I'm telling you, the left front fender looked like it was 14 inches wide. The right front fender was like three inches wide. The left front was blowed out like a snow plow. The right rear and the right rear quarter was contorted. So it looked like almost like a sprint car wing to catch side force. Those cars that we ran, you know, what was that? Probably 2001, 2002, 2003. Those cars were just absolutely incredible. It's, uh, you remember we ran, you know, spring-loaded valences where, you know, the car, we'd enter in the corner and the car would bulldoze front nose down with a keep from dragging the front valence. We spring-loaded our valence so it would spring up and not ground off. It's just, it's just absolutely incredible stuff that, that we did back then. Uh, the engineering, the savvy. I, one of my early gigs was Robert Yates, and Robert was known obviously for his engine prowess. Robert Yates was pretty good with the English wheel too. Uh, he could, he, he, he was pretty sharp. Of course, that aerodynamics helped those engines go down the straightaway, and he understood that. But uh, fascinating, fascinating stuff. You, you talk about the live grenades. Did you ever have one of the rear ends back when they, um, when the rear housing used to have, when they, they used to, you'd open one of them up and they'd blow off from there. Did you ever have one of those happen? That happened with me on the 90 car. One of the first races I went to yeah. in Martinsville when I was volunteering work for Jimmy Donlevy, that was when you used to have the old days of where the you'd burn a rear gear. Yeah. yeah. And you'd go in behind the wall and I'll never forget, I got taught real quick when you burn a rear gear up, especially at Martinsville, pretty much got to use your feet to kick the rear gear out of the housing because once you crack the pumpkin open and that burned up gear caught air and once air got up into that housing, you just had this big plume of fire that came right out of the rear end housing. <laughs> you learned you learned that from experience, did you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's something that's just absolutely fascinating is, you know, here at Ed Watkins Marine, you know, Bobby Allison, all the supporters that we have, Bobby Allison comes by on a routine basis. And I tell you, talking about stories and memories and, you know, the things of 
of, of NASCAR, what made NASCAR so special. I can't say enough about his, you know, shared stories and the stuff that, that Bobby Allison does in terms of supporting Ed Watkins Marine. But, um, you know, we, we have open houses and we'll have uh, customer appreciation days and Bobby comes out here and sits down with everybody and just tells stories. And uh, it's just a very, very personal place to be, but golly, you, man, you, you, Bobby comes by and he just wants to go for a ride. He'll jump in my truck and we'll just ride around and look at boats and he'll just talk. And I just wish I had a video recorder going when he was talking these stories. I could talk to Bobby Allison. That is the one guy that I could talk to all day long. That is amazing. Really cool. And I could talk to you all day long, but you got boats to sell and I got other things I need to get at. Hey, I appreciate you taking some time out today and uh, joining us here on Crew Call. Postman, this was an honor and privilege. I appreciate you guys, man. Y'all got an awesome show. And, you know, MRN, you guys are awesome. I remember I was knee high to a grasshopper listening to MRN on Sundays uh, growing up. Uh, a voice of NASCAR and everything that you guys do. Keep it going. We're blessed, that's for sure. Thanks, Ed. Thank you, Postman. There we go. Ed Watkins joining us from Ed Watkins Marine over in Denver, North Carolina on Crew Call. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Glad you've joined us here on Crew Call. Love catching up and chatting with Big Ed Watkins. The NASCAR Cup Series and the Xfinity Series, they're racing this week in New Hampshire going to be a big, big time up there. When we looked at the Cup Series, that was a big win for Matt McCall and Kurt Busch and that number one team, getting themselves formally and officially locked in. I think they were they were close on the points, but uh, getting themselves locked in and getting a win and getting a little momentum, not only going into New Hampshire this week, but also going into the summer vacation that's coming up, the two weeks off after it. And that puts us at 12 drivers Locked in with wins with five races to go in the regular season. The Xfinity Series, they will race also at New Hampshire. One of the is interesting there when we think about some of our crew chiefs and drivers was Kyle Busch picked up the win at Atlanta. He went perfect five for five. And that's not only a tip of the cap to Kyle and his great skill, but Chris Gale, the crew chief on that car, does such a wonderful job. And so Chris Gale with Kyle in the car is five for five. And then when we look at the truck series, they have a long break here before Watkins Glen, but how about Scott Zipidelli, crew chief for Austin Hill? 
over at uh, Hattori Racing. Uh, picked up the win. They were locked in on points to the playoffs, but now they are locked in with the win at Knoxville. A few weeks to catch their breath and a whole lot of a whole lot of momentum going into Watkins Glen and then into the playoffs. So a lot of great stories going into this weekend in all three of NASCAR's racing series. Now, Motor Racing Network, we do not have any coverage this weekend. Our friends at PRN will have the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series race up at Loudoun, New Hampshire. So make sure you tune in our friends over there and enjoy the race coverage. We enjoyed spending time with you here on Crew Call. Thanks so much for joining us. A big thanks to Big Ed Watkins for joining us. But as we say every time here, more important than all of that, thank you for joining us here on Crew Call, presented by Hercules Tires, right on our strength.